Good morning. Welcome to the worship service of the Lindsley Avenue Church of Christ in Nashville, Tennessee. My name is Steve Garrett. I'm a former minister for the Lindsley Avenue Church, and I will be presenting the lesson this morning. At the conclusion of the lesson, we will also partake of the Lord's Supper together. So glad that you can join us in this virtual service, whether it's through Facebook or YouTube. This morning, I would like us to think about our current situation. We've all heard and we're all familiar with, we all know what we're going through. That's why we're not meeting at the church building today. But I don't really want to talk about these sorts of things. What I want us to talk about is what's going to happen in the future. What will the future look like? Is there anything that we can do today to uh, ensure the growth of the church uh, whenever the doors are open again, or perhaps even now while the doors are closed? Are there things that we can be doing? And I want us to turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2 because we're going to take some time today to look at the beginning of the New Testament church. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and it is a, a chronology, if you will, of the beginning of the church and its growth. And the growth of the church in the first century was amazing, to put it lightly. We're going to read here in Acts chapter 2 that on the first day, the, the day of Pentecost, when the church began, that over 3,000 people obeyed the gospel. Isn't that exciting to think about 3,000 people all at once uh, believing in Jesus and confessing his name and being baptized? And it also tells us at the end of Acts chapter 2 that God added to the church daily. So this initial growth wasn't all there was. It continued to grow. And as we look here in Acts chapter 2, we're going to see that Jesus had talked to, to his apostles and told them that what I want you to do is to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every nation. And this is the fulfillment of that. We see that this is actually what the apostles did. They're fulfilling the, the mission of the church that Christ had given to them. We're going to see here in Acts chapter 2, eight characteristics of church growth. So we think about, we all want the church to grow, don't we? It's nice when things grow. We want our plants to grow. We want our children to grow. If we own a business, we want our business to grow. And those of us who are Christians and members of the Lord's church, we want the kingdom of God to grow. We want it to be expanding, don't we? We do live in troublesome times, and there's really only one answer for that, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need people to be hearing the gospel and obeying the gospel. And though we do live in some very trying and different times, we cannot neglect the mission of the church to proclaim the gospel. So turn here in your Bibles, if you have that handy at home, and we're going to begin reading in Acts chapter 2, in verse 2. Now, it's, well, we'll start in verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The first thing I would like to suggest to you that we see here in Acts chapter 2 that helped the church to grow was that they relied on divine power. 
Now, the divine power here came in the form of these tongues of fire over their head, and it was the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in them and giving them the power, giving them the message, actually, that the Apostle Peter was going to be preaching soon. You know, we don't just talk about God. We experience God. God is something that we can experience. And this is what makes the church different from other organizations on earth. The fact that we have connection with God and we have the power of God and we can experience God in his kingdom. The word of God is very powerful, we're told in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. We also have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And one thing that we've got to be careful to do, especially when we're dealing with difficult circumstances, is to not limit God. It's easy to limit God and to think that he's limited by the same things that we're limited by. But God is not limited the way that men are limited. There is tremendous power in God. One time my father was driving, he was taking a trip, and he was driving from Tennessee down to Texas, and we owned at that time a small car. It was called a Chevrolet Chevette. I want to say Corvette, but we, we owned the cheap version, the Chevette. It was a small car, small engine, and he was driving down there with my brother, and he got to where he was going to be crossing the Mississippi River. And when you got to the Mississippi River, there was a bridge that just went like straight up, and then it kind of went straight down on the other side. And he said he knew when he saw that bridge coming that he had to floor it. Now, flooring a Chevette doesn't really mean much, but he was giving it all he could because he knew when he got to that bridge and he started going up that bridge that that car was going to start slowing down. And that's what happened. In fact, he told me the story. He said, we just barely made it to the top. They were probably going like five miles an hour and they made it to the top and then got over on the other side. Now, God's not like that. God's got all the power. God's not limited. God's not going to run out of power. And we need to remember that, especially when we're a little discouraged and we, things are different than they were. We still serve the God that created the universe, the God that created the heavens and the earth, the God that created you and that created me. We have a wonderful God. A God that loves us so much he gave his son to die on the cross for us and who sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Not in a miraculous way that we can see the same types of events that happened on the day of Pentecost, but we do have the power of God that can help us overcome anything. But we have to tap into that power and we have to use that power, not just talk about it, because that's one of the things that helped the early church to grow. But let's continue reading. In verse 5, it says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are these not who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? It's an amazing thing, this gift of the Holy Spirit that they could speak in all these different foreign languages that they had not learned. And it goes on to mention all the different ones there. Now we think about uh, speaking the gospel in people's language, that maybe offering them translations of the Bible or, or Bible study material that's in their own language, and that's indeed very important. But I want you to think about it in a little different way this morning. 
Think about preaching the gospel in the language of somebody else. Maybe someone who already speaks English like you do. Now think about this. Are you going to talk to a five-year-old the way you'll talk to a 25-year-old? I doubt you will. When I had children, I had to explain things to them in the way that they could understand it because they didn't have all the experiences in life yet. Now, a lot of times we have people come into our churches and they hear the truth, but they're still confused because they're hearing it on a higher level than, that, than they're at at that point. So when we, if we really want to see the church grow, we have to preach the truth in the language that people can understand. And that's not just necessarily a foreign language. On the Pentecost, the gospel was communicated so that the people could hear it. The gospel is amazing grace for every race, no doubt about that. But the message is also tailored to the audience that we're trying to reach. We see that this was the plan of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, for instance. The gospel of Matthew was uh, written towards a Jewish audience, the gospel of Mark towards a Gentile audience, or excuse me, a Roman audience, and the gospel of Luke to a Gentile audience. So think about not only like age differences, but there can be differences among us as far as education levels, socioeconomic differences. And so we, we want a church to grow. We have to preach the truth in the language that our audience can understand. Let's look on at a third point in verse 14. It says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servant and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a, a powerful prophecy. And Peter's quoting from it, saying this is coming true at this very moment, here on the day of Pentecost. And he says that this message is for men servant, for maidservants, for young, for old, for all people to come and to have a part in the new kingdom of God. And we see this is what happened. Look, We'll skip down to the end of the chapter in verse 43. It says, Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So here we see that the apostles were doing certain works. It says they were uh, performing many wonders and signs, and they were preaching the gospel. But it also says those who came together sold their possessions and distributed them to help with people that had needs. So everyone had different gifts. Everyone had different abilities. The apostles had theirs. Other people had theirs. Some people preached and prophesied, and some took care of physical needs. And the point here is that 
in order for the church to grow, everyone's gifts need to be utilized. Whatever your gifts might be, you might have a, a gift of giving and a gift of serving, a, a, a gift of helping in certain ways. And other people may not have that ability or, or that ability con to connect with others. You might have the ability to teach somebody one-on-one, -on -one, but you could never get up in front of a larger group and teach. Or perhaps your, your talent lies in, a, in another area. All people that come into the Lord's kingdom have different gifts, different talents, different abilities that if we put them all to use in the Lord's kingdom, that's when we see situations like in Acts chapter 2 where the church is growing, exponentially growing. Every day, we're told, in verse 47. And if we want the church to grow today, then we also have to be willing to let everyone participate. On whatever level, using whatever gifts they have, we need to let everyone know that you're important to the congregation and your gifts are needed and we want to use you. But another thing we see here in Acts chapter 2 is that the message that was preached was a message of truth and it changed people's lives. Let's look in verse 32. As the Apostle Paul continues his preaching, he says, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says to him, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Apostle Peter delivered a very tough sermon to this crowd. This was a crowd of people who had just days before murdered the Son of God. They had crucified Christ. And Peter tells them the truth. The truth of the matter is God had sent a Savior, and for your own reasons you crucified him and killed him, the Son of the living God. And they were going to have to deal with that. And they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter tells them, here's what you can do. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And if we want the church to continue to grow as it was growing in the first century, and as we see the growth here on the day of Pentecost, we have to preach the same message. We have to preach the truth. We have to tell people, here's where you're at, and here's what the gospel says. And we can't hold anything back. It wouldn't be good for that person to not hear the whole counsel of God. The early church didn't offer up lessons on, on psychology or just messages that were inspirational. It hit people hard where they were, where they needed it the most. But it was a message, um, it was a message devoted to saving people's souls, and they responded. A fifth thing we see here on the day of Pentecost is that uh, once people obeyed the gospel and once people had become Christians and were uh, added to the Lord's church, 
we see that they were supported lovingly by their new uh, Christian family. Let's look down in verse 41. It says, Those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And also, let's look down in verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. The first church here on the day of Pentecost loved each other. They cared for each other. And this was evident in their fellowshipping together, spending time together. It says they did these things daily with one another. But it also says that when there were needs that they were handled, they were taken care of. This is a family. Now think about a family. What kind of family is it that does not ever get together, that does not have times where they're actually associating with each other? Uh, a family that calls one another throughout the week, that writes letters to one another, that goes to visit uh, each other when they haven't seen them for a long time. This is what families do. Families want to have times together. Uh, the holiday season is a, a time when families uh, from all over get together and enjoy time to be with one another. And they share and they fellowship and they love each other and they support one another. It says they did this, that they were all of one heart and one soul in, in, verse 40, in uh, chapter 4 and verse 32. And we're also told that they uh, were together with one accord, this idea of unity. So when they were assembled together, they were unified in their worship of the Lord. Now, we're all human. Churches are made up of humans, and so we're not perfect in, by any means. But these are the goals that we strive for, and when we strive for these goals, then we're going to see that the church is going to grow. Let's, uh, in verse 44, let's look at that. It says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And this is a very interesting thing that we see here in the church. Uh, not only did they spend time with each other and support one another as a family does, but they were generous in sacrificing for each other. For the sake of the gospel, we have to be willing to make generous sacrifices. Those sacrifices might be of our time. They can be of our financial resources. But we have to sacrifice. They literally shared everything that they had, and they were glad to do it. They sold their possessions because there were some people there that did not have enough. And they took care of each other. And seventh, we see that they enjoyed times of joyfully worshiping God together. Look in verse 42, it said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. These are all uh, acts of worship. And then it also says in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This was a group of people that were happy and, and joyful. They had their lives had recently been changed by the preaching of the gospel and by obeying the gospel. Certainly, this was an exciting time for them. Coming together to worship God, someone has said, it's neither a party nor a funeral. It's a celebration. It's a celebration of God's grace where we consider our own lives, where we were, where we are. How can we improve? 
but it's a time of joy. A church that's full of glad hearts and joyful words and hopeful lives is a church that's going to attract people. And it doesn't matter how small you are. Size isn't the indicator of how much we can grow as a congregation. What matters is the size of our hearts, the size of our love, the size of our joy in serving the Lord. And people want to be around that. The witness that we have that Christ has made a difference in our lives. And we're glad to share that with others. When a church demonstrates these seven attributes, and I'll repeat them here, relying on divine power, using everybody's language, use everyone's gifts, offer life-saving truth, provide loving support, make generous sacrifices, and enjoy joyful worship. When the church does these seven things, growth is going to happen as a result of that, naturally. It's going to be natural growth. And people might look upon us as being strange or different, not understanding why we're doing these things. Why do we sacrifice? Why do we share? Why do we want to fellowship with one another? They may not understand everything, but they're going to want to be a part of it. They're going to want that in their lives. And all we need to do is put forth the effort and let God bring the increase because that's exactly who does it. In verse 47, as we just read, they praised God and had favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. How exciting that would be to see the church growing every day, numerically. Well, these are just some things we can think about. The situations that we do live in are different than they were just a few months ago, but they're not hopeless. We can see that we have a power that we can tap into. We have the truth. We have what people need and what people want. They want to be in a fellowship that loves and cares for one another. They want to be a part of something that's important. And this is, uh, being a part of the Lord's kingdom is very important. And it's something that changes lives and we can be a part of helping change other people's lives. How do I get into the kingdom? What did they do here in the day of Pentecost? Well, as we just read, the Apostle Peter, as he was preaching uh, to this crowd that had gathered, when they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, repent and let every one of you be baptized for the remission of your sins. To repent means to turn. If we have been living contrary to God's message, to God's word, to the gospel, if we have been living in rebellion to God, then we need to repent. We need to turn to him. If we believe the message that we've heard and we're willing to confess our faith in Jesus Christ, then we can be baptized for the remission of our sins. Every single sin that we've committed will be gone, will be blotted out, will be washed away. And we can start our life over. In fact, the Gospels talk about when someone becomes a Christian and being baptized, it's called a new birth or being born again. And really, that's what we are. We are born again into a new life. Have you done that? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? These are very important questions that you need to ask yourself. But what if you have obeyed the gospel? What if you've uh, obeyed the gospel perhaps when you were younger and 
recently or, or in the past, perhaps you slipped and made mistakes. Perhaps you quit attending the church altogether and you've sort of fallen away. What can we do? Well, we have a loving God and a loving Father in heaven and a Savior that loves us. And he says, all you need to do is repent, pray for forgiveness, and God will forgive you. The blood of Christ can continue to wash away our sins after we become a Christian. If there's any way that the church at Lindsley Avenue can help you to know the gospel, to obey the gospel, to be baptized, or if you need support of any kind, I suggest that you reach out to the congregation through the website, lindsleyavenue.org. Make contact with the brethren here, and we'll be glad to help you in any way that we can. This morning, we have an opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper. We see that the early church came together on the first day of the week and did several things. We see that they partook of the Lord's Supper, they heard preaching, they offered prayers to God, and they gave of their means. And just because we're not able to assemble uh, together at this time, at least in person, doesn't mean that we can't assemble in this virtual way and still uh, hear the gospel and pray together and uh, partake of the Lord's Supper, as we will do this morning. We take this bread that Jesus said was his body. Think about the body of Christ and how uh, it was nailed to a cross, how his side was pierced, how a thorn, of, a thorn of crowns had been placed upon his head. And Jesus, in instituting the Lord's Supper, took the bread that was part of the Passover and said, take this in remembrance of me. Would you bow with me at this time? Our Father in heaven, we come before you at this time giving you thanks for this first day of the week. Father, we thank you for this bread that Jesus said was his body. As believers, Father, we are partaking of it now to fulfill the commandments that we've been given, to do so on the first day of the week. Help us, Father, to reflect upon the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his apostles, not only did he take the bread, but he took the cup, the fruit of the vine. And he said, "Take this in drink this in remembrance of me. This is my blood in the new covenant. We're commanded as Christians to not only eat of the bread, but to drink the fruit of the vine, which uh, so aptly represents the blood of Jesus. And as we contemplate this this morning, we think about the blood of Christ as it flowed from his hands and his head and his side there on the cross. Would you bow with me as we give thanks for this cup? Father, we thank you for this fruit of the vine, which Jesus says was his blood shed so that we could have remission of our sins. Father, as we partake of this together here at this time, we ask that we will all remember that great sacrifice and the wonderful blessings that we have because of it. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen.
This concludes our observance of the Lord's Supper today. As I mentioned a moment ago, Christians, we also have a responsibility to lay by and store on the first day of the week to give so that the work of the church can continue. And we need the church, especially during these trying times. So let's not forget to uh, give an offering back to our local congregations, however that may have been established. Thank you so much for uh, being part of this, the Lindsley Avenue uh, worship service this morning. Again, my name was Steve Garrett. I'm very honored that I had the opportunity to present this message from the Word of God. Uh, let's remember as we go out throughout this week that God loves us and Jesus loves us. And I know from experience the brethren at Lindsley Avenue love each other and they love you. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your wonderful blessings. We thank you, Father, for the blessing of your word. We thank you, Father, for the example that we have of the New Testament church. And we see, Father, how we can live and how we can act and, and how we need to uh, behave, Father. And we pray, Father, for growth. We pray that you will lead souls to us who need to hear the truth. And we pray, Father, that we will uh, make every effort and take uh, any opportunity that we may have, whether it be in our home or through the internet or over the phone, and we pray, Father, that we will be able to assemble together uh, as soon as it is possible so that we can uh, truly be with one another together and, and worship you and, and offer our, our songs of praise and worship up to you. Bless us all, Father, as we go throughout this coming week. Uh, I pray, Father, that you will watch over us and protect us and, and be with those, Father, who are suffering in any way. And Father, we love you and we pray that we can be more like our, our example of Jesus and his love and his mercy and his kindness and his tenderness. We offer this prayer through his name. Amen.